Hello and welcome to another Romaniacs Emergency Podcast with a working title, It's Beginning to Feel a Lot Like a Constitutional Crisis. <laughs> the fallout from Provocation Week continues to descend, not least on Nadine Doris MP, who from her tweets apparently thought it was something to do with the delicious traditional Polish dumpling, the pierogi. <laughs> so we've reconvened to take a look at the latest developments. I'm Ros Taylor and I'm joined by the mighty Alex Andreu, who was enormously upbeat about the consequences of prorogation on Wednesday's podcast. Hello, Alex. Hello. I wasn't that upbeat. <laughs> I was but, just not as apoplectic as everyone else. But are you still vaguely optimistic that this is a good thing for stopping New Deal? Well, yeah, because, I mean, look, look at what's happening around the country at the moment. It seems to have completely fired up um, the Remain side, which was really quite disappointed and losing um, hope. So I, I, I think it, it's a huge own goal. Do you think the street protests have encouraged anti-No Deal MPs? Is it is it threatening is threatening to shut down bridges and streets counterproductive if we've got to win over Middle England, or is it a good thing? There's a balance, isn't there? The, the, there's a balance between um, the, the disruption you co- cause to everyday uh, life and um, keeping keeping the thought that there is another side to this and they feel strongly about it mm. also on the forefront of people's mind. Um, the, the footage of the Conservative MP being confronted outside his um, surgery, for instance, I thought was bang on the money. He seemed genuinely surprised to see a crowd of people gather and saying, you can't fucking do this. Um, <laughs> genuinely taken aback. So I think that kind of action is very useful. It's an emergency constitution cast, so we're delighted to welcome law and policy guru David Allen Green back to Romaniacs. Hello, David. Hello. It's it's never a good sign to have a constitutional pundit on this podcast. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Twice in two weeks. Uh, Shall we make you up a bed? <laughs> yeah. It's like being a sort of hospital consultant for something really unpleasant. Of course, you're really happy to see them and you wish them well, but you really don't want them to keep appearing all the time. Uh, yes, there's been more constitutional drama in the last couple of weeks than there has been for a significant amount of time. It's it's significant what has happened and something bad has happened. So it is a crisis now? It is a crisis. Well, I'd say we're on the verge of a crisis because we still haven't had the confrontation. We've had the setting... Besides, uh, Downing Street has arranged for what, you, what I am going to call suspension because I find it proration a very difficult word to say with my speech impediment. Uh, the suspension has has had an incredible effect within politics. It isn't the usual lefties who have complained about it. You've had Lord Young, last surviving minister of Thatcher governments, resign. You've had John Major join the litigation today. These are quite senior people on the Conservative side who are unhappy. Something significant has happened. It certainly creates the essential precondition for a crisis. The question is is whether this can now be resolved, possibly through court action, although I'm doubtful about the court actions, or by Parliament getting its act together in the few days it has available and doing something. And although I'm not as optimistic as as Alex, I do think it is still possible for no deal to be blocked. But in the words of the American jurist Eminem, you've got one shot. (laughs) And effectively, the only way we can block it 
is by enough MPs getting together in some sort of loose agreement coalition to outnumber the Tory and the DUP MPs, isn't it? Well, they've got to do at least two things. First of all, they've got to get control of the order paper. They've got to take control of the parliamentary timetable. That's not a given. They may not do it, but unless they get that. But that is the essential first step. And then once they have control, they either have to go towards changing the administration. So we've got a new prime minister who will be able to exercise their discretion and ask for an extension of time. Or if they can't do that, they will have to come up with primary legislation through both houses at speed uh, in the short time available to oblige the government to ask for an extension and hope that the European Union agrees to, to that extension. Hmm. There are other slight possibilities to avoid no-deal Brexit. You could have revocation, you could have an, a revised deal, but neither of those seem plausible. Yeah. But even without this suspension, it would be a big ask to get highly contentious legislation f at speed through both Houses of Parliament. With this suspension, it becomes significantly more difficult. What about the, the idea of her being mooted, of, of simply adding a single line to the European Withdrawal Act um, to say that you can't do it without a deal? It still has almost all the same issues. You would still need to have some primary legislation going through which would amend that legislation. Yeah, uh, It might make it a little easier at the margins, but yes, a short piece of legislation might be enough. Yeah. But even that would be difficult in the circumstances. It's someone I was listening to was saying that basically the shorter you can make it, if you can make it one sentence, oh, yes. it will be, be greatly assist it. Well, that's what progress. the government did with the Article 50 notification bill straight yeah. after the Miller case of the Supreme Court. They yeah. had a two-clause uh, bill which they forced through. Yeah. Uh, that is what they should be aiming for. But remember, the government has the benefit of the extraordinary lawyers at the Parliamentary Draftsman Department. The opposition MPs uh, and backbench MPs will not have that benefit. So they are going to actually have to come up with top-notch drafting, which is not only Johnson-proof, but Cummings-proof. Yes. Uh, both need a huge amount of time. Both the... the Voter no confidence approach of trying to get a new administration in time or trying to get primary legislation through. But it is just about possible. Yeah. But it's more likely to fail than succeed given everything which is against it. There are stop the coup hashtags everywhere. A lot of people have called it a constitutional coup and they've been accused of hysteria, of course, by the Brexiteers. <laughs> does, does this fit the bill of a coup, do you think, Alex? No. Um, quite simply, uh, I was born during an actual coup in 1971 in Greece, and I'm pretty sure there were tanks involved, so let's not be ridiculous. Having said that, the latest person I saw accusing the Remain side of being hysterical was Mark Francois, who went on Afternoon Live to rip up a letter from the um, German Airbus CEO because his father fought against the Germans. So, you know, there's been hysteria, I feel, on both sides. Interestingly, I was also born during the Greek coup of 1971, but oh, safely in Birmingham next to a chocolate factory. <laughs> no tanks there. No. Uh, 
hysteria is a phrase which you use against people who you haven't got a better argument. It's it it almost always tells you more about the person saying the word hysteria yeah. than the people that they're trying to describe. And it's unfortunate the times and the leader said this was hysteria. If people can't object to one element of the state, Parliament, being put stone dead for five weeks at the most important period of modern British history, then when are you supposed to react? I've been very careful over the last two or three years saying this is not a parliamentary crisis, this is not a parliamentary crisis. Then I actually go, wow, we're getting to look a bit like one. <laughs> not a lot like one, but a bit like and one. And everyone goes, oh, you're being oh, hysterical. You're, you're being hysterical. I was called a hysterical Ramona today, yeah. even though that I'm a Maastricht-era Eurosceptic who would have voted for the deal had I been an MP and we'd be out for EU by now. Mm. Things... It's just, the debate has become very odd. It, and it ties into the language of toxic masculinity, I think, which is linked to the old right project and the Brexit project. You know, calling the other side hysterical, there is an element to that where you're saying you're women, you're cowards, you're fags, you're cucks. You know, it has yes. all of that in it. Um, the entire debate today has been about consent and whether Parliament can withdraw consent and Johnson comes out and says, basically, the more you struggle, the more I'll hurt you. You know, there are there are undertones there that are really quite disturbing. Yeah. And we should emphasise what actually has happened. It, not a single commentator, not a single pundit or politician has put forward a plausible excuse for what has been done. Mm. Initially, they tried to pretend it was no different from a recess, but it's significantly different from a recess because then Parliament is still functioning, select committees can still act. A, a, a suspension like this means everything ends for five weeks, not yep. just the three weeks of a recess. Uh, nobody is convinced by the Queen's speech arguments. Nobody's convinced, not even the people putting it forward. The MPs who are trying to defend it are unconvincing. I mean, you can tell they're not convincing themselves. That Tory MP you mentioned who was confronted uh, on, on in his surgeries, Chalk, yeah. you mentioned the reaction of the people who were talking to him. What I was interested in was what he what he's saying. He, he said, I did not know about this until I read it on the BBC website. <laughs> and you could tell he was thinking on his feet to try and explain, not justify, but just even to try and explain it. Nobody is satisfied by this. And as Alex says, I think this is going to create a reaction which is outside the scope of what Johnson and Cummings is expecting. They think they're all so terribly clever, especially the latter one. Uh, but this seems to be having a result which they weren't anticipating. For people still to... Backbenchers to still be defending it two days later is not part of the plan. It yeah. can't be. But speaking of... Uh the Times and other figures falling into line. I mean, Rudd, Hancock and Javid and the others, uh, they've had their hypocrisy over prorogation exposed pretty brutally. I mean, they're all terribly anti it. Mm. He said it would never happen. Indeed, as did Johnson. It's, uh, he said it wasn't uh, something that he thought was, uh, he thought it was archaic, yeah. was the phrase he used. Um, and they rejected it in the leadership campaign and now they support it. How, how do we think that will play out for them in, in the future? Well, and, and, and they do so in a really weird wink-wink way where they say we support it because really it's the thing that will help us bluff better and really he's doing it to get a deal. Yeah. And it's like the other side 
can hear this debate. They speak fucking English, you know. Um, so you can't say, oh, we've got a shit hand, but we're trying to make it look better publicly and hope the bluff then works. But that bl bluff, wink, wink, will not help them in the litigation. It, it won't at all. It, won't, it won't at any level, actually, because the, it, the European judgment on whether the UK is serious about no deal, and this is a point that really needs to be driven home, the European judgment on whether the UK is serious about a no deal depends on an objective assessment of our level of preparedness for a no deal, which is nowhere near enough. So they know we're not going to go to a no deal because we can't, because we haven't set up a fucking medicines agency, because we rely on their goodwill for a side agreement on aviation, because we haven't got the, the, uh, the necessary staff in place at the borders, because we don't know what we're doing yet, because 50% of businesses aren't, haven't even started preparations. Now, Europe can see that. This is observable from the outside. So I don't understand the point of this bluff. It just creates bad will at a, at a time when actually what we need to reopen that agreement, if that's what he genuinely wants, he should be generating goodwill. And he's generating <coughs> bad will. But isn't the strategy, isn't the strategy to really run down the clock, Parliament comes back briefly before uh, October the 31st, and then they have the final chance, Johnson will say, to vote for a deal, which will essentially be May's deal with some tiny tweak or other, possibly. Mm -hmm. um, and he will say, right, you have to do this or you get no deal. And it will be, it will be the ultimate Brinkmanship. Yeah. I think that's what he's going to do. And Parliament may turn around and say, revoke. And the, the, the if, if that's the choice you're giving us, to bring us back a deal we've already rejected three times, or no deal, then we choose option, option three. I would like to think that. I would like to think that. But I, I, I unfortunately, I don't quite believe it. Mm. I think that, uh, particularly some Labour MPs will fall into line out of sheer fear um, of the consequences. Yeah. yeah. Well, the fact that we are talking about this in August, uh, about what dastardly plans they've got for the last week of October, sort of smacks of those sort of James Bond villains that tell you the whole plot against them halfway <laughs> through a film. They probably have got this all gained out. You know, we seem to have Gareth Keenan from The Office in Downing Street with his <laughs> military vocabulary and these mock daft ideas about... Uh, Game, uh, game theory and whatever uh, they probably have got this idea that they can try and force a showdown in the last week of October but the thing is is that if we are aware of this in, in, in August and there are some very bright people in Parliament now on the backbenches as well as in opposition uh, government backbenches as well as in opposition who know parliamentary procedure very well, they know what is perfectly capable in the time available but they're not shouting about it. They're not leaking it to friendly uh, journalists who will then tweet about what a genius they are. They don't need to. They know what they're going to be doing next. Yeah. And I take on board Alex's point that this is a great opportunity to reverse what's happening. But I must emphasise that even with all that, it's still risky and we could end up with, with, with no deal on the 31st of October yeah. because that is what the default is. That there's, is there's no low risk... 
option. There's no low-risk path going forwards anyway. All I'm saying is that, looking at it from a European perspective, if they sniff that this might come down to no deal or revoke, and they feel they're quite ready for a no deal Brexit, and they feel they've had enough of extensions and drift and their currency being affected and their economies being dragged down, they may take the choice away from us. Um, there's a notion today, um, uh, Andrew was just showing me a piece about Gordon Brown um, saying that the EU might withdraw the deadline. I saw that a, a little before the podcast. Now, I went and had a look at the... I went to ha had a look at the text of the agreement in I think 19th of April it was and I don't I don't think Gordon Brown is right I don't think the EU can unilaterally just withdraw the deadline the the, I, well, my the article 50 is timing is running and in order for that timing to change they have to both sides have to be in agreement brown, I, is, brown is not a fool but i on the basis of what i've read and i've not seen the actual text of what he said but on the basis i can't see how it could be unilaterally changed it's it's no. captured in a council decision which is eu law as much as any other EU law yeah. until it's amended or discharged now i think they could shorten it mm. but i don't think they could take it away or extend it indefinitely. But I do think they could shorten it because the agreement is really quite clear that this extra time is being granted in order to get the agreement ratified. <laughs> so if at any point they feel they have a strong enough uh, uh, grounds on which to say, we don't think you're um, making moves towards ratifying this agreement... We think you're doing all sorts of other things, but I don't think you're making good faith efforts to get this agreement ratified. So we don't see what the point is of drifting for another month. Well, this bluff and insincerity also has an effect on the litigation, because as, as many people will know, there's litigation now in the High Court in London, there's some litigation in the Scottish Court, there's some litigation even in the Northern Irish Courts. Uh, I don't think any of that litigation is ultimately going to succeed mm. for the simple reason uh, to successfully litigate you need to have a remedy and I cannot see what remedy the court could grant which would uh, reverse the suspension or amend it. Mm. But the, it is open to the court to get to that destination in different ways. They could just shrug their shoulders and say this case isn't justiciable, bye. Or they could listen to uh, the submissions and make a quite lengthy judgment before saying we can't give a remedy. And the fact that there's this ulterior motive that on the face of it, this suspension is for a fresh Queen speech so the government can take uh, refresh its legislative uh, agenda, nobody believes that. Mm. Uh, and the fact that so many Tory support... About, government supporters are openly admitting, even cabinet ministers are admitting that this is being done for the ulterior motive of forcing through its negotiating position in Brussels. A court could have a great deal of fun with that yeah. before actually saying there's no remedy. Uh, David, can you just uh, take us over the difference between the two challenges? Because there's a, one led by uh, Gina Miller and John Major. Uh, it seems a long time, doesn't it, since the original Miller judgment establishing that Parliament should have a say in Brexit. And there's a court of session one in Edinburgh, which uh, ran into some delays today. Can you tell us the difference between 
the, what those two are trying to do. Yes, the original Miller judgment is the sort of early constitutional history of Brexit as opposed <laughs> to the middle history and the latter history or meso or palo or whatever. <laughs> uh, we are now dividing Brexit constitutional history into, into mini segments. Uh, there were three cases, actually. There's one now also in Northern Ireland, which oh, is a separate jurisdiction okay. from the people who were involved in the Northern Irish Challenge, which ended up at the same time as Miller. Uh, Scotland, Northern Ireland, England and Wales are three separate jurisdictions with three separate systems of law, although Northern Irish law and English and Welsh law are broadly similar. Scottish law is radically different. It's strangely different to an English lawyer. Uh, and that is why the Scottish constitutional challenge associated with Joanne Cherry, the uh, Scottish National MP, is slightly different to what we would expect in an English court. And that might have a different chance of success. Scottish public law, Scottish constitutional law is different because Scotland has different constitutional principles. They conceptualise Parliament in a different way and they conceptualise sovereignty in a different way. Scotland, in the Scottish case today, uh, the attempt to have some sort of interim relief, uh, interdicts in Scotland, injunctions in England, failed. The judge said no, there's no need for them. The judge is probably right. There's no pressing urgency to have a temporary order. But the judge did say he wanted to have full argument next week. Yeah. Uh, that might work. The English challenge was is being brought by uh, Gina Miller. Today, John Major put out a press statement saying he was supporting it. I understand Tom Watson from the Labour Party and Joe Swinson from the Liberal Democrats are right. also supporting it. I'm delighted to see my old law firm, Herbert Smith, are actually bringing it, who are quite proud of their litigation record. Uh, if those cases go forward, the question is, is, what does the court do with this application? As I said earlier, the court could just dismiss it and say, this is not a job for us. And I can imagine that happening. But if submitted well and the judges take an interest, they might want to have explore the substantive issues before getting to the point of saying, well, we probably can't do anything. I would love to be wrong and I would love for courts to say to uh, the government, no, what you are doing is not only unconstitutional but unlawful as well, but I can't see that. Hmm. And remember, there is a distinction between something being constitutional and something being lawful. Constitutional law is only one part of the Constitution. There's only so much of the Constitution you can litigate. A great deal of it is also convention and practice, mm. which courts cannot enforce. And my suspicion is what the government is doing with its suspension falls into the non-litigation side of the Constitution, yeah. and it can only be resolved within the political arena and not in a court of law. I'm, I'm going to disagree very slightly with you. I don't uh, disagree with your assessment of the likely outcome at all, but I think that is a perfect likely outcome from a Remain point of view, actually, um, because... Which outcome? I, that the court will say, yeah, he's taking the piss, but there's nothing we can do about it. Not that, to me, is yeah. absolutely the perfect outcome. Because you don't want Brexit to be thwarted on a technicality. This would be the precise mistake that Johnson and Cummings made earlier this week. This would this would basically create outrage on the side of the Brexiters who would feel cheated and put the wind in their sails. You want the courts to, to say that, yeah, he's wrong. Mm -hmm. What he's doing is unconstitutional, but unfortunately there's nothing we can do about it. Because this 
again, it galvanizes the remain side. So I think that would be a perfect outcome. Is there, is the composition of the Supreme Court important in this, David? Uh, or is it of negligible importance? I mean, does it matter who is currently sitting in the Supreme Court for making a decision like this? Or would you say it's irrelevant? It's generally irrelevant. Uh, the one judge who would have loved to have done this case but now has had to retire is, is Sumption. He has given his opinion. Yeah. He, he has right. said that what is happening is not unlawful. And a lot of Brexiters on Twitter have gleefully treated that. Lord Sumption says this is not unlawful. But he said it's also outrageous constitutionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say that's more or less the mainstream position. Uh, to bring successful litigation here, you've got to have a target. You've got to have a thing, a decision or a lack of a decision, which you can effectively crush. You can't crush the Queen's decision to grant the suspension for various reasons. So what you have to do is go one step along in a sort of Heath Robinson approach to litigation and attack the advice of the Privy Council to the Queen. That, given they've got David Panic, if that argument, what, who, who is the leading uh, barrister in this area of law by a, a country mile, if that argument wins, gets gets force. I could see a court possibly going with saying we're not in any way saying the Queen can't exercise her power, but it's up to the Privy Councillors to ensure that their advice is plausible and legal mm. and rational and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just about I could see that going, but I still don't think a court will touch that. Mm. But I think a, a, a bench would very much enjoy getting to that point <laughs> if they have a sense that something is wrong. Yeah. The best advice I ever had when I was training to be a litigator was don't go to a judge and say, oh, we're upset, things are wrong, give us a remedy. You go to the judge and you explain a situation where the judge, he or herself, will say, that's not right. We've got to do something about it. Yeah. And that is what the Remain litigate, well, not Remain actually, but the litigants who are trying to avoid an ODL Brexit have got to do is go to the judge and say, listen. This is not right. And the judge might not be able to give a remedy, but the judge might want to sort of give a full judgment getting there. What we can at least conclude, I hope, is that the Queen's... Any hope that the Queen might save us on the part of Remainers has been comprehensively quashed, which I have to say, from my own personal point of view, is a relief because I find the monarchy completely unconscionable. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so I, I'm relieved that, that some some uh, delusions are being put to bed there. Now, Rose, can I ask you something as a resident stat guru? I am not a stat you guru. You totally are. You do realise well, my, my, my degrees are in English and French. I'm not a statistician. Is she a stat guru? Well, she knows every poll that comes out. It's extraordinary. It's She's my encyclopedic. So... Um, the the more important aspect of this is how it plays in public opinion, as far as I can see. Mm. Um, has, has there been any polling on there how has this been is going down? Some immediate, quite immediate, fast polling, which is interesting because it took place before people had a chance to start feeling, I think, a sense of outrage. And it was a YouGov poll that showed forty seven percent of people opposed uh, prorogation. 27% of people supported it and the others presumably don't have a clue what prorogation is and who can blame them. Um, so that that's quite a... 20 points. That's that's quite a large margin, as you that say. And that was before margin. the... That, that was before 
at the same time, it became a polar, as it will become a polarised political issue, and people possibly didn't know what view they ought to have on it, given their previous views on Brexit, which I'm sure they soon will learn to to have. But uh, it, nonetheless, that that I see is hopeful. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, very good. Yeah. Um, I think we've got a few, a uh, couple of questions for David Allen Green now, if he doesn't mind answering questions, because I know he doesn't like answering questions, but maybe he would deign to answer a couple he, from our listeners. He did. He did retweet my my yes. thing saying send send questions in for David Allen Green, and so I've. Cur- I thought it was for questions have, for both of us. I, I have curated a few. They, <laughs> oh, that is so thoughtful of you. They, they, they are for both of you. And we have to do it as a quick fire round. So resist being loyally. Okay. First of all, why Villa? <laughs> <laughs> Just a, my yeah. my family have supported Aston Villa since the late nineteenth century. So there. Tradition then. Yes. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, we've also got uh, one. Uh, yeah, this is uh, is a written UK constitution now inevitable. And is that a good thing? Um, I could feel I could answer that for you. But um, David will do it infinitely better. So I will let it him. It makes no difference to the case for a written constitution because a written constitution or what should be called a codified constitution is ultimately neutral. It can allow uh, executive abuses or it can limit them. Mm. The fact that it's in the code does not in and of itself make it some liberal panacea. Uh, does it make, does what happened this this uh, week strengthen the argument for some sort of codification? I would actually say on balance, yes, because as Gavin Phillipson nicely put it on, on, on Twitter, things like the residual parts of the constitution where the Queen has power, like being able to assent to legislation, being able to grant suspensions of parliament are like he calls loaded guns, which if uh, in the Constitution. Yeah. And so far, most of these things have never been pushed to to, to because people have just been sensible. People realise that you do need to compromise with conventions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we found out that when you've got somebody like Dominic Cummings, you've got the sort of person who pushes in the queue in front of you. You know, you just going tut loudly isn't going to stop him. Uh, so, yeah, there is, I an, love that there is an argument for... Various things now to be codified which haven't so far been codified. But for a thorough codification of the Constitution, be careful of what you wish for because if it's codified in a way which entrenches executive power, you're in an even weaker position than you are before. We need to talk about quickfire. <laughs> <laughs> and arguably now may not be the, the time. Uh, just now. I'm trying my best. Immediate. <laughs> I can talk even more quickly if you want me to, but then the <laughs> listeners will object. I find I'm struggling enough with my accent. <laughs> And we'll just have one more about uh, Northern Ireland. Does a no deal breach the Good Friday or Belfast Agreement in international law? In and of itself, no, but the implications may do. Better? Brilliant. There we go. And I agree completely. An extremely loyal answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, we could go on and on and become a 24-hour rolling Brexit news channel, but we should probably stop now. Thanks to David Allen Green for coming in and Alex Andreu. Our next podcast is scheduled for next Friday, but it might be a lot sooner. So don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. Um, there's one other thing I need to do before we go, which concerns uh, Ian, who is yes. sadly not here. Alex, uh, Yes, so um, I sent in a message saying that a lot of people are complaining that they, they miss his sweary rants. And uh, and I said, can you give me a message on the latest development to read out on his behalf for the listeners? And this is his message. 
They're all a bunch of c- <laughs> Cheers, Alex. <laughs> now, if it's possible, <laughs> have a lovely weekend. <laughs>